On this edition of Fresh Bread, as we really wrap up our beginning with the end in mind, which view of eschatology is correct? Well, we'll find out. We'll continue our discussion as we dive into eschatology. Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church Gainesville with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Well, welcome to Fresh Bread, where we're bringing God's truth to a starving world. Podcast 14, he's Pastor Brandon, I'm Pastor Keith, and last episode, we were right in the middle of our wrap-up on eschatology. The beginning with the end in mind is what we're going through here, and I we've done a few of these on the major views of eschatology, and we're right in the middle of a mill, and we were giving our rundown on things that we have concerns with and why we don't preach a mill eschatology at Grace Bible Church, and we had just finished with the binding of Satan, and we are moving into some more of them. I think the issues were biblical interpretation and binding of Satan were the first two that we jumped into, and then we were just getting into the length of the millennium, thousand years. Almil, they believe that the millennium started in 70 AD around then, right? Yes, yeah, so the church age, with the church age. So yeah, that they, they wouldn't take the thousand years as being literal. Mm-hmm. The literal physical reign of Christ on earth, they would not see that from Revelation 20. And they would have to because it's been about 2,000 years. Well, true. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious that, you know, it's not a 1,000 years from point yeah. uh, that we're well over a 1,000 years. So, uh, you know, that would be problematic for them to take it as being a literal 1,000 years. And another issue we have with Amil, we, we believe in two resurrections as, as pre-mill. Yeah, we believe in two physical re- resurrections. That's right, physical resurrections. Yes, yeah. where you know the resurrection of the church at the rapture prior to the tribulation period, and then a final resurrection of the dead from Revelation, and that Christ will ra- raise up uh, men for judgment, that he'll judge them and cast them into the lake of fire. So we believe in two physical re- resurrections based on those passages. They would not see that. They would see a spiritual re- re- resurrection, You know, the first resurrection being a spiritual one, and the second resurrection being a physical one at the end of the age. We take it literal. They take it spiritual and then literal, where we take two literal, one for believers, one for non-believers, which is what Scripture says. Yes. I mean, that's what, I mean, yeah. that's taking taking Scripture for what it says. I would argue that it does speak of two physical resurrections. There's no reason to understand them as something different in the sense of them being physical. So is that all we have to say on Amil? Is there anything else we've left out that you can think of? You know, I, I would say that in terms of amillennialism, I understand some of the reasons reason why that they would go in the direction that they're going. You know, if you think about it, there's the rapture prior to the tribulation and, you know, there's the coming of Christ. There's even the issue of, of evangelism, you know, after Christ returns and after the tribulation period, how do you deal with that? You know, even during the tribulation period, but how do you deal with this? I mean, this evangelism, even the issue of those having glorified bodies and those having unglorified bodies in the millennial kingdom, you know, this transition period of the thousand years. I mean, I do understand the difficulties there, and I understand why. And as a matter of fact, you know, I had a, a young man that was that was telling me that he was concerned because he had watched the Left Behind series, and when he reads Scripture, when he reads in Revelation, he doesn't see all that was acted out in the Left Behind series. And so, you know, I can see where, you know, it would be a struggle. You know, it, you know, I would say to premillennialists, to those who are, who take a premillennial view, don't use the Left Behind series to form your theology of eschatology. At the same time, I would say don't, you know, don't look at, at the Left Behind series and say, well, that's, how could that ever be 
oh, that could ever be true. It's so dramatized. And so therefore, I need to just throw out premillennial, premillennial view based on that fact or based on that view. But the problem is, is that we need to be looking at the Bible. What does the Bible say? How do I need to understand the Bible with any of these views? We need to be biblical, really deal with these issues. One thing that I would say in terms of eschatology, we need to be humble when it comes to eschatology, understanding that we may not completely get it. And when we read it, it's a complicated subject in many ways. I mean, it, it is easy to say, well, it's better just to simplify it and just say Christ is going to return. It'll all pan out in the end. It's pan-millennialism. But at the end of the day, it's very important that we try to understand it, but that we hold it with humility and understand that, you know, I mean, as the as the all-millennial guys, you know, joke, you know, that if the church gets raptured, at, you know, on the way up, you know, it, look, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to, if, if that's what happens, if something different happens than I thought, I'm not going to say, well, Christ, you're wrong because I had it all worked out the other way. I mean, there needs to be a humility, you know, in these things. But having said that, I don't think that gives us the excuse not to really try to understand, you know, to really, to really read the words of this prophecy in the words of John and try to have understanding and try to get it right. So, okay. So we've gone through post mail and ah uh, mail and kind of the pros and cons of it. We're kind of going through the cons. This is why we don't preach it as uh, pastors of Grace Bible Church. Now we're going to move into the third pre mail. This is why we preach it at Grace Bible Church. So the strengths of pre mail. The reason why we are pre-mill, but I was going to have you define a quick definition of pre-mill for us. Yeah, premillennialism would say that, you know, after the Christ and the cross ushered in the church age and that, you know, after that, we had the, the, the apostles and they formulating and writing scripture. Or after scripture, after the canon was closed, now we're fully into the church age. We would see this age as an age of the gospel going out, making disciples of the of the nations, premillennialists, which I am one. But we would see this age, the idea of preaching the gospel to the nations so that there would be making disciples of Christ, preaching the gospel, teaching them all that he commanded, that our primary job then would be evangelism as the church during this age. We are to be salt and light to this generation. And using Christ's words from Matthew 5, we are to be salt and light. Our job in doing so would be to preach the gospel so that others may come to know Christ, so that they may glorify him. We wouldn't see our job as improving this world uh, in terms of, you know, the post-mill view. We wouldn't see it as a spiritual reign of Christ and we would in the sense of, yes, the Holy Spirit is dwelling amongst us or in us, and that you know he's building his church during this age, absolutely see it in that way. But we would also understand that at some point in the future that Christ will rapture his church. He will take his church up in, in the air and that we will be with him. At that point, that will usher in a time of tribulation on the earth, a seven-year tribulation spoken of by the writers of Scripture, spoken of by John, spoken of by Daniel, that there will be this, this time of tribulation, the seven-year period on the earth where there will be tribulation on the earth, where there will be judgments poured out on the earth, and that at, at the end of that tribulation period, Christ will bodily return to Jerusalem specifically, to, to Jerusalem, and he will set foot on earth, and he will go into the city. There will be what, would you, what you might call the triumphal entry. That will be, if you, if you will, will be reenacted, you know, where Christ will, will enter the city through, through the gate, and he will set up his throne on earth and it will be this physical earth, and he's going to redeem this earth and through his rule, and he's going to rule with 
I would argue, Israel and the church in terms of that and for a thousand years. And it'll be a thousand years of, of incredible prosperity where the earth is brought under his control. And I think that is a material reign. I think it's a physical reign. I think it's a spiritual reign. And after the thousand years, there'll be a period of rebellion. And after that period of rebellion, Christ, it will be a very short re rebellion where Satan is loosed. So during this thousand years, Satan is bound in the abyss and is not allowed to roam. And Christ will do, you know, will rule. And at the end of that, he'll be loosed. And and there'll be a, a rebellion at that point, a short rebellion, which Christ will put down. And that will usher us into the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, let me see if I can get this right. Let me see. You can let me know if I've been listening to you this whole time. Post-mill, Christ comes after. It's not a literal thousand years, or is it a literal thousand years? Well, I think some would say it is a thousand-year golden age of okay. the church of Christianity. And that's that, where the post comes in. Yes. Uh, and, but Christ will return after that period. Right. It, he'll return after. after yes. The post. church, after the church Christianizes the world, he'll come back and reign. Yes. Amil, they don't believe in a literal reign, or do they? I'm well, they, they believe it's a spiritual reign. Spiritual reign. Yeah, he's in he's in heaven right now reigning, and it's, he's reigning spiritually through his people. Okay. And Premel believes that he will come before the thousand years. Yes, that he and will. set up his kingdom. That's right. I was listening. Yes. I feel so good. All right. Well, that's what we are. I'm, we are premill. We preach that. We teach it at Grace Bible Church. And I think that's one of the strengths as we look at premill is the return of Christ before the kingdom is established. That's what we believe. And that's a strength, we think, because that's we believe that's what God's Word says. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. I think it best fits what Scripture says. I think it best fits when you look at the overall arc of biblical history. I think it fits that. I think it fits the words of the prophets. I think it fits the words of the New Testament writers. I think it fits when we we look at it from a biblical theology point of view, being a, a restoration of the world under Christ. It's interesting that I think post mills get it right in the sense that there is going to be a period of restoration, that there is going to be, if you will, using the word that I've used, re rehabilitation, if you will. I think there is going to be a period of that, but I think it's going to be under the, the rule of Christ bodily, physically. I mean, he, he's going to physically rule, and, and he's going to do what King David couldn't do, what King David was una unable to do. He's going to rule from King David's throne, and he's going to do what King David was unable to do because King, King David was a, a sinful man. So there is, <clears throat> there is going to be a, a renovation, but it's not going to be us. It's going to be him. That's right. I mean, we get to participate in that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful to say that we will return with him and that we'll participate in that rule among the nations. And I, I can't even imagine how that's going to look in terms of obviously what the Bible says, but I mean, in terms of thinking about it, imagining what it's going to be. I can't even imagine how amazing that's going to be yeah. to rule with Christ. But yeah, I mean, I think that he gets all the glory. I mean, that, I think that's the point. He gets all the glory. And I think that's, again, I struggle with post-millennialism in that sense because, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to be uncharitable and say, you know, well, they believe that, you know, the church does all this and where's Christ and all that. I, I get it. They, I think they would say, I'm sure they would say that, that Christ is working through the church. I'm, sur I'm sure of that, that. It's Christ's power. It's not our power. I'm sure of that. But I think what's hard about that is, is that in reality, I think that literally, literally, that no one is ever going to be able to say that anything, anybody else did it other than Christ, right? I mean, he is going to get all of the glory. And and I, I think that one of the problematic things with post-millennialism is that it's this idea that the church is going to participate in this. And the, I mean, I said earlier, the church is going to participate in the millennial kingdom. But the problem is, is that the problem I have with it is, is that, again, 
it's this idea that we do it, that we that we're doing it, that we are you know we're the churches. So there's this focus on the church. There's this focus on us doing the work when in reality it's Christ doing the work. It's going to be obvious to every eye that it's Christ that he's the one, that he's the one that gets all the glory. Right. There's going to be no one going around in heaven or on the new heaven, the new earth saying, hey, let me tell you about what I did to help yes. usher in the kingdom. That's right. It's going to be all, we're all going yeah, to be we're glorifying gonna, Christ. Yeah, just, we're going to be, anything that we ever did, any service that we ever did, it's it's all going to be about him. Absolutely. So one of the strengths that pre-mill is the return of Christ to establish his kingdom, which is a big one. And then also that we talked about this on the last, when we talked a little bit about the all is the two resurrections. We believe in a a literal two resurrections, one for believers and one for unbelievers, like it talks about in Revelation 20. Yeah, I mean, when you say a strength, I mean, what you mean is, is that it best, yeah, it best fits Scripture. Yeah. Like, this is what Scripture says. Hermeneutically, it best fits what Scripture says, you know, in terms of what is going on. I can look at like Revelation 20, it says there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. It says that Satan is going to be bound, and he's not going to be able to deceive the nations. You know, he's going to be not just put on a leash, but he's going to be bound. I mean, this is what Scripture says, and and I premillennialism best fits how Scripture speaks of future events. I think so, too. And I think that part of that whole thing is is another strength, is that there's an actual kingdom on earth. We do see that as a as literal kingdom that exists on on earth. It's not spiritual. Yes, I mean, he will reign as the supreme ruler over an earth that has had the Edenic curse removed. And so again, I said earlier, it best fits biblical theology. And so, I mean, he is going to do what Adam didn't do. If you think about it, in reality, the millennial kingdom is going to be basically the second Adam ruling in a way that the first Adam failed to do. I mentioned David, right? I mentioned David that he's going to rule and he's going to do what David failed to do. But ultimately, he's going to do what the first Adam failed to do Hmm. because he's going to rule righteously without sin. He's going to show what that righteous rule looks like. So you might say the millennial kingdom, he's he's going to restore the garden Hmm. And and that the new heavens and new earth is taking us beyond the garden. And that, like you said, that just fits so well. It does. I mean, it it does. I mean, I, I I mean, are there problems and things that are hard to reconcile? Absolutely. I think no matter what view you take, there's going to be things that are difficult to reconcile because we're trying to look through a lens that isn't fully clear, right? I mean, we we're trying to put together all these different texts and understand them and understand them together. It's complex. It's very mm-hmm. complex, and so it, there's going to be some things that are dim and hard to understand. But that doesn't mean that you know that the view is wrong. It just means that there are things to understand. But I have to look at it and say, but it best fits in terms of hermeneutics, right? Like I can I can interpret these passages as they are. As I don't have to have two separate systems of hermeneutics. I don't have to separate those things. First off, but second off, from a biblical theology point of view, meaning that you know when I look at Scripture as a whole, when I look at the theology of Scripture, it best fits, you know, the arc of history. It best fits when I look at that. I think that when I look at the strengths of premillennialism, I just think it fits best with Scripture. That's why they taught us in seminary to never make a theology or a doctrine out of one verse. Well, that's what's, that's what's interesting is that both the amillennialist and, and post-millennialist would say that we're using Revelation 20 to build a theology from Revelation 20. 
But in, in reality, I don't think that's what's happening. I think that, and I think now I will say some folks probably have erred in that way. Right. But, you know, I, I think that there are some guys out there, you know, like a, like a, a Michael Block or a, a Abner Chow that have, that have really worked hard and there's others, but they've really worked hard. And those are the guys that I remember because they're my professors yeah. from, from TMS, but you know, they've really worked hard to understand scripture as a whole. And it's funny because the crit- criticism of, of premillennialism is we're taking three verses in revelation 20 and we're making a whole theology about the end time based on those three verses. I mean, that's the whole thing, you know, pre-mill, post-mill, mill is all based on our view of revelation 20. But I would say that premillennialism best fits overall scripture like when i look at overall scripture it best fits did you forget i was in class with you you didn't mention me they were my professors too no i was thinking too because when you look at the marker where they talk about snake handling that is something that you don't want to build a a doctrine on but some people have that's right because you don't see that anywhere else in scripture you you know paul got bit by a snake but you can't make a a, a doctrine on it what you were just saying is in, in revelation 20 if you read it separately okay if you compare it with what's going on in the bible there's a continuation there's yes. there's things fit together yes. nicely when you look at it that way this leads me to the next one that you've talked about this and i never saw it until you said it and that's in the kingdom of god is established after all human kingdoms have ended well, i think you, even, said, you even say yeah, after all human kingdoms have failed right that's what you said yes. one time and it really i went wow that's one of those aha moments where you're like you're right that's true yes I mean, it would he does, fit better that way he i mean i said it earlier but he does what adam failed to do yeah and i bring up david he does what david failed to do you know david united israel under one rule but i would argue that if you look at the victories that were going on you know david was having victory after victory victory after victory then what happens he you know sees bathsheba and so then then he sins with bathsheba what happens after that it was defeat after defeat yeah. right and and i think what's going to happen with christ is christ is going to conquer this world you know that, that he's going to reign from jerusalem he's going to conquer the world and it's going to be a process i think it's a process for that thousand year reign which actually does what the post-millennialists say is happening today I think it's going to be a process for a thousand years of the world getting better and better and better until the point where Christ is, his rule is absolute, except over then there's going to be a rebellion at the end, but then he's going to very quickly stamp that out. And so I think, yeah, it it best fits scripture overall. Satan's been trying to rule this world and he gets three and a half years to kind of try to do it and it turns out to be horrible, so. Well, I I mean, there is that, right? I mean, mean, again, I mean— he is, I mean, that's, that was actually a question from one of our listeners about Satan and the nature of his rule today. And, you know, I argued that, that Satan is the ruler of this age. The God of this age is what uh, scripture says. He is the God of this age. And, and that God has allowed him to run this world system, the system of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. God is still the ultimate ruler. I mean, and that's never changed. God is still sovereign over all these things. But that he is allowed for a period of time, he's allowed for his purposes, for his glory, he's allowed Satan to rule this current age or rule this, he's the God of this age is what, again, what scripture says. So yes, 
I mean, God is still ultimately at the end of it, at the end of tribulation, we're going to see what that brings us to. Mm. I mean, so we talk about it from a perspective of man and man's kingdoms, but now we talk about it from the perspective of Satan and Satan's rule. And all of that is going to come to a head at the time of tribulation. And we're going to see the bankrupt nature of Satan. And we're going to see the bankrupt nature of man in a sinful fallen state. And then you're going to have Christ that's going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to, there's going to be a righteous rule mm-hmm. and Satan is going to be bound and Satan. And ultimately, if you think about it, I hadn't thought, I hadn't even thought about this, but if you think about it, that's the purpose of binding Satan is to say, okay, to prove the, to the de, the demonic world, you know that Christ's rule superior to. I mean, I don't even I don't even know if that word is strong enough to say that it's not even as if Satan's rule is is even comparable to to our Lord. I think our Lord's rule is incomparable, but it's gonna it's gonna prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to every every eye will look upon him and and will bring him glory. I mean, because every every knee will bow. There will be no question. You know when it's all said and done. Yeah, it's it's almost like a like a puzzle. There's no wasted pieces. Everything that God does is it's fulfilling something. Absolutely, and it's showing us again His glory and His greatness. Yeah, I mean for sure, and I think that's what I was saying earlier, Keith, is that from our perspective, looking at it, I would acknowledge that there are difficulties in understanding. This is not a open shut case. I mean, and maybe I'm talking about it in that way, but I acknowledge this isn't an open shut case of, yeah, we've got every little aspect worked out and we know and we're better than everybody else because we have all this stuff worked out. No, I mean, we need to hold this with humility. But at the same time, we need to recognize that, you know, what Scripture says, and, and we need to recognize it from a biblical theology point of view. We need to recognize it from a systematic theology point of view. We need to use right exegesis. We need to have the right hermeneutic to understand what God is doing. And I think when, when you do that, premillennialism, rightly understood, rightly understood, best fits what we see in Scripture in terms of what's happening in the world and what is going to happen in the world. Mm, and that's what we're doing Yes. At this section right now, we're going through pre-mill, the biblical reasons why we preach it and teach it at Grace Bible Church. And we've gone through the return of Christ before his kingdom is established, two resurrections, literal resurrections is found in the Bible, an actual kingdom on earth is found in Scripture. Christ's kingdom is established after all humankind and even Satan gets his shot at having a kingdom and, and that they come to an end. And also now we move on to the next one that we feel we see in Scripture is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Moses writes in Genesis chapter 12, you know, the Abrahamic covenant that Abraham was promised a land, a seed, and a blessing. And we haven't seen that come to full fruition. You know, under Joshua, there was a conquest and the land was established under rule of the rule of David. But even at that point, the the boundaries that were given to, to Abraham, it was never a land that was completely devoid of, of Gentile influence. I mean, they, they never, under Joshua, conquest wasn't complete. So, and the land boundaries were never met. And then even under David, I would say that they were never fully established. It was never what God promised 
to Abraham, which, by the way, was an irrevocable covenant. And so I think with the millennial kingdom, what we're going to find is, is that those boundaries are established and that the land is going to be Israel and it's going to be what it was promised to be. And I think with these other systems, it doesn't allow for that, that that covenant, by the way, that God ratified. I mean, it, you know, this whole that whole scene of the splitting of the, the sacrifice and the torch going between and, you know, Abraham was even asleep, you know, a deep sleep mm-hmm. came over him. Basically, what that says is, is that, you know, usually with a covenant, there's two parties that ratify the covenant. And in that case, it was God who ratified the covenant, God alone. So it, it means there was no, I mean, God can't break his promises, right? If he's made a promise, he's going to keep it. So he made that promise and it was a unilateral promise. And so I can't see anywhere biblically, anywhere in history where those promises, the land, seed, and blessing promises were fully fulfilled. And with the millennial kingdom, I think what we're going to find is that those promises that God gave to Abraham are going to be fully fulfilled in that time. It fits perfectly with Scripture, a literal fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Premill takes a literal hermeneutic. I can have a consistent hermeneutic, meaning a way of interpreting Scripture. I can have a consistent, basically grammatical, historical hermeneutic that doesn't change based on whether I'm reading Genesis chapter 1 or whether I'm reading Revelation 20. It's a consistent hermeneutic that that I use to interpret Scripture, and it's a grid, if you will, of interpretation that I use to interpret Scripture, and it that doesn't change. In terms of premillennialism, I, I don't have to change that hermeneutic based on where I'm at in Scripture. Now, again, we we understand there's different genre of, of writing. We understand there's poetic writing. We understand there's there's prophetic writing. We understand there's narrative. We're not saying, I mean, obviously that's going to be, we're going to take that, we have to take that into account when we're reading and interpreting. But by and large, I'm still using the same, I say by and large, I am still using the same hermeneutic. I'm still interpreting it in the same way, taking into account the genre that I'm in. And I think that's a strong way to uh, interpret Bible prophecy, is through that hermeneutic. Yes. Well, I think it's the right way. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing—it's it, interesting because I, I learned this, you know, Dr. Chow has a class that he did on advanced hermeneutics, but one of the things that I took out of that class was that the biblical writers had a hermeneutic. They, they had a way that they were interpreting Scripture. And so as an example, if a New Testament writer was, was writing and writing Scripture and he says, it's as, as it says in the Old Testament, I mean, he actually is using a hermeneutic to interpret that. And the hermeneutic that best fits what they're doing was the grammatical historical hermeneutic, you know, where I take the, the Scripture literally and I, and I use grammar and I look at history and all the things that we do, it's the same hermeneutic. And if I do that, if I look at if I look at those references and I go back into the Old Testament and I and I use a grammatical historical hermeneutic, it shows me why he did that, made that reference. And it it's a it's consistent. I mean there's mm-hmm. no inconsistency with that. And it doesn't I mean it's the same hermeneutic that I need to be using when I look at the entirety of Scripture. If I do that, then what I find is that premillennialism, in terms of eschatology, best fits what we see in Scripture. And that's why we preach and teach it at Grace Bible Church. Yes. So as we come to a conclusion, as we wrap this up, any last words uh, about prophecy? Maybe you could go into, again, why is eschatology so important 
It's interesting because it's one of those areas that is controversial. We acknowledge that it's controversial. We acknowledge that I would be, I would say clearly that there are well-meaning brothers who hold other views of eschatology, and I would see them as brothers in Christ. You know, an R.C. Sproul would would come to mind. Sinclair Ferguson would come to mind. You know, men who Martin Lloyd Jones. I just mentioned him earlier. I love Martin Lloyd Jones. Martin Lloyd Jones is was an amazing man who, who the Lord gave amazing ministry and had an amazing impact on on many people. But what I would say is it's important for us to study it because what we find is, even though most people would say it's not a major doctrine, right? But it is a major doctrine because it affects how I view the world that I live in. So if I take a post-millennial view, like the church is here to make the world better, that's going to change how I live in this world, right? But on the other hand, if I take a pre-millennial view, but I take a pessimistic view of, of the world, meaning that I think that I just need to sit back and kind of kick it and wait on Christ to come make it better, well, I don't see that in Scripture either. So we need to have a right view of eschatology because it helps us understand how to live in this world. How do I respond rightly to what I see in this world? I know biblically the answer isn't that I'm here to renovate the world. I know that that's Christ's job. But at the same time, I can't sit back on my haunches and say, well, you know, I'm just going to wait on Christ because, because he's going to make it all right. Well, that's not what he, he says. Go make disciples of the nations. You know, go go teach them all that I command. Go baptize them. You know, that's what we need to be about. We need to do what he commissioned us to do. And so if I have this idea, and you know, I will say that my view of eschatology can change even how that I think I view or our responsibility is. And so it's important that we work to have a right understanding of what Christ is doing and what he will do prophetically. That's a great way to end. And again, we didn't we didn't do this eschatology, I don't know how many we did, four or five, I can't remember how many podcasts we've done, but we're, we didn't try to cover everything, we're just trying to lay out a sketch of the different views and their strengths and weaknesses, and then why we believe in what we believe in. Yes. That's mainly what we were trying to do, and hopefully we did that. There's so much more we could go into, but we were trying to sketch it for people so they understand where we're coming from as well. Absolutely. We want to we want to be clear theologically where we stand in terms of why we do what we do, why we preach how we preach in terms of, you know, how we view the world and why we view it that way. Again, we have well-meaning brothers who have who take other views. Uh, there's no doubt. And so, you know, I don't want to I think that I think really it's a call. You know, John MacArthur a few years ago preached a sermon at a shepherd's conference, you know, calling those who have, have a right understanding of, of salvation, fight to get the right understanding of eschatology. And I think this last shepherd's conference, he renewed that call and said, Let's, it's time for the church to get it right. It's time for the church to understand. And, you know, hopefully at some level, you know, hopefully at some level this these series of podcasts that we've just done will help you know, carry forward that discussion so that we can get, you know, a right understanding of what's happening and how to view, how to view eschatology, how to view, how to view revelation, how to view the millennial kingdom and all the things that go with, with uh, prophecy. Yeah, I think so. Well, beginning with the end in mind, this is the end, hopefully. If you have any questions, you can always email us and we'll be willing to, to talk about more things in depth if, just to uh, remind, just to remind folks, um, if they don't know, you can 
you can look on the website, Grace Bible Church website, gracegainesville.org, and find uh, the podcast, but you can also find a way to ask questions. And there, there's a there's a form that you can fill out asking your question, and, and we'll try to get those things addressed either to you individually or we may do another podcast based on your question. Yeah. Well, yes, and that'll wrap it up for today. And again, we thank you for listening. He's Pastor Brandon. I'm Pastor Keith. Thanks for listening to Fresh Bread. You've been listening to Fresh Bread, a podcast of Grace Bible Church, Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening.